All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbre, and joined with me is Mr. Andy Full, the captain who's been taking over, who ran the show all last week. Thank you, sir, for hey. taking over. You know, it's just uh, the duty here as the co-host is to slide right in and not miss a beat while the brainchild is gone. So, like, that is just what we do. Is it bad uh, that I'm 24 and I still laugh at duty? Yes, that that is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't help it. I don't know. Like, if you got me in a meeting right now, like, yeah. Is Is it a T on the duty or is it a D, so it's like duty, like poop. <laughs> it's like it's like D double O T Y. Maybe maybe an yes. IE if you really want to get spicy. <laughs> Ooh, yes. It's like that homie dilemma, right? Is it a Y oh, or IE? Dude. <laughs> dude, that was <laughs> I thought it was I literally thought it was IE or I thought it was H O M Y my entire life till you guys were like, dude, why do you say M Y? Like, and I'm like, isn't that how it's spelled? And you're like, no, it's I E. And I'm like, oh, okay. No one ever told me otherwise. <laughs> I'd be for E except after C, bud. <laughs> no, Y I E. It's it's all interchangeable, I suppose, depending on who the person is. So I mean, I it's both grammatically correct. I think I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I only ever say it over text, so it's like. You should not worry about it. How, like, I wonder how like the pronunciation of home why would be. Is it like home why? Like what's up? <laughs> home why. <laughs> home why. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh man. Well, folks, we have what's uh, up? We've, we have a pretty laid back show tonight. It's uh it's been one Andy and I were talking about actually we're supposed to have a guest on tonight. We'll save the surprise uh for you know when he's able to come on. He had to cancel, unfortunately, on us. Uh, that's going to be an interesting show. I think it'll dive into some really good topics. Uh, but with that being canceled, we tried to get a couple of folks on last minute, but we didn't want to force anyone to kind of in a conversation. And you guys know we don't like to try to force a show and put out any bad content. But we kind of are sitting there like, well, we want to do a show, but no one's around. And we're like, we know what? We haven't, we haven't had like a you and I sit here and just kind of chat about a topic in a long time. Yeah. This is going to feel good to you to talk about bass right now because I've been steelhead fishing the last few days and I'm kind of missing my boat. Like I walked by my boat this morning at five o'clock when I walked outside and I was like, I miss you (laughs) as as it's like snowing and hailing and downpouring. And I walked eight miles today. Like, yeah, um, I miss my boat and standing there and casting life's easier. I I bet you do. (laughs) Especially when, I mean, you're getting a, you're definitely getting a damn workout. That's for dang sure. Yeah. And you're still having fishing versus bass fishing. Yeah. The downside is you walk uphill both ways. So when you walk into the stream, I usually walk upstream. So I'm walking uphill. And then when I come out, I have to walk back uphill because to get down to the stream, I usually have to go down a ravine to get down. So I got to walk up a hill to get back to my truck. So it's like mm-hmm. just never ends climbing uphill. It's 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 different though. It probably keeps you kind of like mentally fresh, which I think is something we're gonna we're gonna dive into today in multiple facets of of when yeah. fishing gets tough, not just you know fishing tough on a lake and conditions, but like fishing tough mentally. But like it probably keeps you fresh. Swapping that, like taking a couple of days off the boat, hitting the streams, 
And then when you get a couple of days going the streams, get back in the boat, kind of keeps you fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, it's kind of cool walking the streams because like a little short story from today, we're walking up and we come around a bend and Lord behold, there's these two massive bald eagles like flying yes. through the ravine, like a hundred feet over our head, just screaming at seven o'clock this morning. So that was um, pretty cool. It's the stuff like that I get to see when I'm out in the wild and turkey vultures and buzzards chasing eagles around and deer and catching some really cool, strong, powerful fish and walking all that way for a couple bites. It's um, it's different, but it's definitely mentally refreshing. Just the fresh catching air. Yeah, catching some catching deer on the back cast. Oh, be a fight. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Who needs a bow and arrow when you got a damn <laughs> when you got <laughs> a fishing rod? Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Let's see who wins. Yeah. Probably yeah. the deer. Probably yeah. the deer. <laughs> I'd put my money on that. Well, folks, uh, a couple quick things for you guys tonight. Uh, obviously, we have a topic mm. that we're going to be talking about. It's not going to be for the full time because we'd love to get some topics from you guys in the comments because obviously tonight is our live show on what we should talk about, but also – if you're listening to this afterwards, I mean, maybe this becomes a once a month. Andy and I just kind of dive in, dive into the topics you guys want us to talk about. So if afterwards, if you like the style of show, let us know, hit us with some topics that you want to hear us talk about. And then maybe we'll kind of make this a once a month recurring thing. But uh, it's, it's kind of good to, as much as we love our guests, I think it is kind of nice to sit back and just talk fishing you and I, cause we haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. So it's, the, um, it's been a hot minute. Definitely. A hot for sure. Minute, so with that being said, uh, get some things out of the way really fast. Uh, big thank you to everyone that has been supporting the new show on the Serious Angler Podcast Network, the Lure Lab. The Lure Lab so far is taking off well. Uh, we are loving to see the feedback that you guys have had. Uh, definitely a few people have already messaged in saying they've used the techniques that we've talked about on the Lure Lab, and they've already caught fish off of them, or they learned something they didn't know. Uh, and that's exactly the, what we're going for and trying to help you guys learn about new techniques, get better with techniques you're already using. Because obviously at the end of the day, the goal is to catch more bass. So if you have not already and you'd like to check out the Lure Lab podcast, it's on every platform that Serious Angler is on from an MP3 and a YouTube standpoint. If you want links to the social media and MP3 slash YouTube, it's all down below. It's on every uh, show description, whether you're on MP3 or YouTube. So you guys can check that out. Um, but thank you again to everybody that's checking out the Lure Lab. And if you do listen to it uh, or or you're watching, please subscribe on YouTube. Uh, and then if you're listening, please leave us a rating and review on Lure Lab. That'll help the show get noticed more, helps us more, and therefore means more content for you guys in the long run. So, yeah. Anything to add to that, Andy? No, Maybe I just want to uh, throw in, like, I see some awesome, like, questions coming in already from uh, – all of our viewers here tonight, but this one is kind of cool. Like Chris Flay, what's the best way to catch those shallow fish feeding on super small bait fish? It's kind of cool because our last episode we launched on Saturday for the Lure Lab, talk about like finesse swim baits. That's a really good way to catch those super small fish, and they come in like two inches, two and three quarter inches to mimic those bait fish really well. So <laughs> interesting little segue back to it, but that is a great way. It's just to cover a lot of water just a little ball head and a small swim bait, honestly. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm laughing because you said that's the best way to catch those small fish. <laughs> no, sorry. 
I've been no, up, you're good. You I've been up since know. four thirty this morning, so like my my brain is fried. Mush, mush, yeah. But we're yeah. here, so that's all that matters. Yeah. We'll start. We'll start diving into some of these questions here in a second. Um, but really, really quick. Um, the last piece of business is something where you know we have very hectic schedules. Um, my my travel is yet to let up. Hopefully, by you know Thanksgiving. There won't be any missed shows for several months, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Um, but you guys do enjoy Andy on his own, so uh, we'll, we will not knock that. Um, but it is nice to not have to miss shows, like, literally at, at this rate four times a month. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, but one thing I'm trying to work on in the background is getting a crap ton of apparel, like, lined up for you guys. Hopefully we're going to have that by Christmas. That is the goal to have apparel set up, whether, you know, we're going to try to start out with hoodies, shirts, and hats. Um, if that's something you guys would be interested in, hit us up on social, uh, hit us up in the comments. I mean, if you're on tonight and you want to get yourself a hat or a hoodie, we're going to start taking some names where we might have to start out with a pre-order. Cause I'm still trying to find someone that makes quality apparel and will ship for us because shipping is kind of a headache. But I'm willing to do it one more time if enough people want to get like a hat or a hoodie like before Christmas. So people are interested, let me know. We could probably put in a, a pre-order um, and obviously make sure it's some good apparel. We actually can do we can do Blackfish Gear sun hoodies. So if you're a guy that likes or an angler that likes sunny hoodies, you want them Sears Angler branded, we can set that up. That would be pretty cool too. But either way, just let us know. We, we're, we got that coming. Um, we're just going to try to figure it out and make sure it's the easiest option for you guys and for us because trying to ship is a huge pain in the butt. So yeah, just figured we'd fill people in. But all right, Andy, we should probably let's let's start out with a couple of questions oh, here, quick. There's so many good ones. Yeah. I'm going to bypass one. Fish, fishing lakes with lower levels in the fall. I'm going to bypass that one real fast, just because we don't get too much lake fluctuation here in New York, but there are a couple tips that we can go over. But, um, hey, what's up, Clint? He's with uh, Joe up there at Oneida filming right now, doing some Iowa shoots. Yeah. I'm not severely jealous at all. I'm very jealous because I'm sure they are absolutely cranking on that lake. But let's start with Levi here, right? How to effectively (laughs) catch bigger fish when they start schooling with the smaller fish. And this is something... That's kind of hard to figure out at first, in my opinion, because the small ones usually bite before the big ones. But if I'm wrong, Bailey, uh, let me know. But usually what I'll do is just change colors first to see if you can get them to fire or upsize, like go one size bigger or sometimes go one size smaller and you'll get the bigger bite. It's just really figuring out what the fish are telling you. And a big thing now is if you have live scope, you can really figure out how to trigger those bigger ones to get going. So just tinker around and um, have a ball doing it and catch a bunch of fish and figure out what works best for you and ride your confidence, man. Like that's my personal opinion. I I will say, and this is going to go against Jim Johnson's comment saying no live scope. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the easy answer to this is you can use for facing sonar now to like, you know, see kind of, where they're at staging, you know, in terms of like where the big fish are holding on in that school. I mean, th- this question I feel like can go a few different ways because there's like, are we talking about catching bigger fish when they're eating smaller bait fish or like when they're schooling with smaller bass? 
Um, I think I feel like the second one is kind of where they're where he's trying to go at with the question. Uh, great, great question here, Levi. Um, short answer is electronics is a great tool in trying to figure out how they're setting up compared to the smaller fish because there will be times. Uh, I feel like honestly, it's a rare occasion when they set up the same in terms of you might have them sitting in a school, right? You might have this 10 by 10 foot rock pile that they're holding on or just a hard bottom and they're all on it, but you can finally, you can kind of tell in like sometimes the bigger fish will hold on bottom where the smaller fish will hold a little bit higher or vice versa. Or you can kind of see that there might be the main school, smaller fish here, but your bigger ones are a little bit off a little bit. Like you might see that on brush piles, smaller fish might hold tighter bigger ones might be a little bit, you know, further put a few feet off of the brush pile. Um, but to, to Andy's point, you know, when you don't have electronics and they aren't being as straightforward as that situation, I feel like, I feel like upsizing is like the first go-to in terms of when you're catching a bunch of fish. Um, it might honestly come down to though, just like you need to just go through a certain number. Like you need to catch six, seven small fish to catch a four pounder. And you might need to catch, you know, four or five more to catch a five pounder. You might need to cycle through those. I mean, how many times, Andy, on Erie, is that the case where you go through? I mean, in your case, it's it's 24 pounders to catch a six. And then yeah. three, 15 more four pounders to catch five. It depends on the season. Like in the summertime, like let's go July. So post-spawn, like severe post-spawn through late summer pattern. If I'm catching a lot of small fish in an area, but I can see big ones around, a lot of times they'll live together. But <clears throat> the biggest thing to do there is not even change baits, but just to change the color in your bait. Like I will have five different drop shots on the rod, uh, on my deck, five different colors, and maybe like slightly vary the length of leader on my drop shot and try to figure out how to get those bigger ones to come out and eat. But when I'm on like a shallow flat situation where I'm just burning through numbers, if it's like a jerk bait or a crankbait situation, and I'm catching like two or three pounders, there I might switch. Be like, okay, if I change a color, like if it's if I'm using a translucent bait right now, maybe if I go to like something shiny, like a very bright, loud jerk bait or crankbait, I might be able to get one of those bigger ones to fire, or vice versa. If, catching a lot on the shiny ones go to more translucent natural to see if that's what the big ones bite it's it's virtually just kind of figuring out what the fish wants on that any given day and a lot of times like bailey said that big one is just slightly off the school of them so it's just learning how to target those individual fish that are the big ones and that's my next point in the summertime a lot of the times your biggest fish are all by themselves and they are the absolute hardest ones to get to bite. That's a really good point. Season is a really good demonstration of how yeah. that, that, that comment could be, you know, laid out in so many different ways. Also, like, are we talking deep? Are we talking shallow? Are we yeah. talking in grass? Um, yeah. That's dude. That is honestly, you know what, Levi, we're going to, I wish we had stuff to give away tonight. Cause that is actually a good show topic. Let me write that down before I forget about that. Yeah, that, we're, that gonna, is, Levi, we're gonna break this into a whole show. That's an incredible show topic. So thank you, Levi. Hey. Oh, I don't know. I what, say I what? got 
I might have something here if you want to give it away. If, I mean, it's your stuff then. I mean, it's like... No, these are the things that I borrowed from you and I haven't given them back yet. You borrowed some from me? The order sunglasses. Oh. <laughs> so I yeah, have I'm this sure pack. I mean, I have this pack of shades right here. Some bluefin satin black with Sightmaster plus polarized. If you think that's something we can do for that. Sure, why not? Let's let it rip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're already talking I thought they were sitting here, so it's like, ooh, we don't have any fancy fishing shows. So, I mean, how's that sound? I, I kind of like Levi, this. Like, you are the one winner tonight for yeah, some like, Ever Shades. I kind of like that. That's kind of fun. Like Levi's like, oh, dang, okay. Yeah, sweet. Thanks, Levi, for the awesome show topic and the great conversation starter and allowing us to burn through, like, eight minutes of rambling on about how to catch bigger fish. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that definitely needs to be a, that needs to be a bigger show because like the more we talk about it the more it's like well when you see this you could do this when you see that you could do that the big to me that i think the short answer is being good with your electronics you can kind of learn how to pinpoint those hey and he's in a hobie kayak Kevin even Martin. better for the brand um, i suppose <laughs> all right i want to go i want to go back to this really fast because this was a great lure lab show we did last last saturday um but let's let's do two baits, super small bait fish, shallow. What are the two baits you're going to whip out? Let's do this: one small mouth, one large mouth. Oh, so the first one it depends on the season, but the first one I will always try to get them to eat is like a little tiny Rico popper. Mm. Like for some reason, like the little two inch popper on like eight pound mono on a medium light bait caster, just covering water, especially if it's like bright sunny no waves just calm no bait boat wakes or first thing in the morning that's my favorite and then a second one if i had to choose between two if i'm covering water it'd be like a finesse style spinnerbait so maybe like the war eagle get five finesse three sixteenth ounce spinnerbait or a single swim bait like 2.75 or 3.3 and try to match it like depending on what kind of bait fish is if, it, if it's bluegill going with like a darker colored swim bait or if it's like little pin minnows that are super translucent maybe like a rainbow shad or something along those lines just to try to match the forage base i got you so i will say for smallmouth, i'm just gonna throw a hair jig and if they're not if it's the hair jig's too big then i'm probably gonna get off the water um <laughs> For lar- for large <laughs> for largemouth, uh, I'm gonna go down to a 2.8 on an Okashira head and just cover water. Um, but there is one bait that is a show that I want to get lined up, and he's game for it. We just got to figure out a time. Uh, we're gonna be talking about. Well, I think one bait that hits that is a float and fly. And that's all we're gonna talk about right now because that's some juice, and we're gonna wait for Caleb. And we're gonna schedule a show. Ooh, so I always forget about the float and fly. fly. Always forget about that dang so, thing. I'm always like, I, I can't gotta try about this, it after but... he, Yeah, dude, he smoked my butt on that thing. And have you used it since? No, I can't figure out. I gotta get the right setup for it. Cause it's not one, it's literally one of those techniques you can't like you can you know people say you can get away with this rod and reel. It's one yeah. of those steps you, you can't do that. Like got it. Got, got it, it, got it, got it, got it. Fair enough. So we're going to have to schedule that show because that that is one that's juice, especially when it gets tough, as we're going to talk about today. Um, oh, yeah. 
Let's see. Mr. Higgs is asking with holiday shopping just around the corner, any new gear slash baits to look out for to buy? I, any I don't new know baits I, any? Um, I honestly haven't been looking the last few weeks. There's always stuff that I want to try that I can't afford. So if you have like a spouse that's willing to spend money on you, have her buy like that bait Omnia casting reel that you don't want to buy. Yeah. Or an Omnia fishing gift card or um, allow her to use our code, which is what serious for 15 or serious 10 to get 10%. Yeah. First. But um, no, literally like this is a fun time to shop because you can make a list of everything that you don't, you wouldn't personally buy and you can just send it out to your friends and family and be like, Hey, this is what I want for Christmas. Just let me, let everyone know what you're buying me so they know what to do. You don't, what, like, you don't want to buy Vision buy. 110s? This is the time to ask for Vision 110s. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or like if you want to buy like that Shimano Elberdeen casting reel, like this is that time to do it. Like ask somebody to buy it for you so you don't have to buy it yourself. Honestly, this is the time of year that I look at like uh, my tackle storage. What needs revamping? What do I need next year? Like this Great. is the time where I go buy all that that all that jazz like if i'm a co-angler i'm looking at like i mean in the spirit of like we we're talking about asking stuff for christmas or something like that right where you know your, your pops or your mom asks you hey what do you want for christmas and you know, say you're a co-angler and you've been using a raggedy old backpack to carry your gear you know ask for a, a plano backpack or something like that you know for that they came out with that new one last year that's pretty freaking sweet and that uh, makes a good co-angler bag or even if you go out fishing with like me where i have a lot of friends that have boats uh, and I go out in their boats. It's a great bag to, to bring along, whether you're fishing tournament or not. Um, it's kind of stuff like that. It's kind of like the oddball time of year where it's like, I'm not buying the bulk of my baits right now. It's kind of where I'm buying that stuff that I'm too busy buying other stuff. <laughs> They're out like the spring and summer and fall, but it's kind of a cool question. Uh, but either way, if you do decide to get some fishing tackle, head over to our friends over at Omnia fishing, use code series 10 for 10%, uh, 10% off. All the codes are down below. Again, all discount codes, not even just for Omnia, but for all of our amazing, uh, amazing, amazing show partners that are down below in the description on both MP3 and YouTube. Let's let's see. We got. What about David Zhang's question? That's a good one. I I never use a split shot rig like split. ever. Probably something I should do. So what it is, Bailey, it's like a split shot, and then you have like oh, yeah. an octopus. You know, you know, like a French fry on the back of it. We'll yeah. zoom French fry. Just something I never have thought about doing up here in New York. It's like a not even really low budget. Low budget is not the right term, but like a like a low budget Carolina rig, I guess, in terms. Yeah, but you're using it on spinning gear. Yeah. Ooh, I almost keep going down the line because some we might not get to this whole you know tough quote unquote fishing (laughs) for a while because these questions are good. Let's see. You got you got three crankbaits to use for the rest of the fall. What are you using? I feel like I can guess your first one. Go. <laughs> OSP. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's three, right? Like you have the OSP EXDR. You got the uh, OSP DR, which I've really come to like this year, and then a striking five XD. Like when I am crankbait fishing in the fall. I want to cover as much water in a very tight, specific area as possible. And I reel that thing until my arm falls off. So, like, for instance, if you watched the Lake Fork Bassmaster Live and Brian knew burning a 10XD and a 6XD, 
I'm not reeling it quite that fast, but I'm up there with like a seven one eight to one gear ratio reel and ten pound test and just oh yeah, just I want it in that bottom. It's fun. Yeah, just covering water because I want them to react and eat it, and I want something that's slim but has a little bit of roundness to it, so it has a good wobble to it. But I want a slim bodied crankbait like a five XD because it cuts water a lot easier than something that's round and it's not going to blow out. It's going to run more straight and true. Some other ones for good choices would be like a bomber fat free shed, like a little bit more old school. Um, and then a Norman NXS is another good one. If you like Norman crankbaits that, that dies. So like the Normans are weird. They, they have more of like a tapered out long, swimming belly to them that get down but the nxs is like a 5xc it goes straight down upon reeling so you can get to the bottom depth extremely quick that you're trying to achieve i don't honestly crank all that much in the fall unless we're going for smallmouth and that can i guess your three uh sure so it's gonna be a rock crawler an osp exdr because i got you in love with that thing yeah, and I don't even then, know just send me the link and I just went and bought them. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, I want to say it's that Berkeley one. I can't think of the name of it, but um, no. What is it? What's the third one? 5XD. Going, it, it would be up 5XD. there. I, I've thrown a 5 and a 6XD for so long, but that's more that's more of a summer crank for mm-hmm. me, uh, which one we won't get into right now because I don't want to give up that juice yet. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I'm going yeah, old school. Yeah. Just lucky craft square bill. Ew, 1.5 is so good. So good. As soon as that grass is starting to die off and it comes off, the treble is really easy and you're just burning that along the, the grass lines. Yeah. So it's now... Really fun inside grass line bait this time of year. I'll say if, that. If this question was open to all seasons, it would be much more difficult, right? Like it'd probably be like a cluck, lucky craft 1.5 because it comes out of grass easily. It's great in the spring. It's great in the fall. I might have to include a Fritz side in there just because of that slender body. And then always an OSP, like whatever brand OSP, they're just incredible. Every one of them. Just, yeah. they're just so hard to get your hands and on. And look, look, okay, we need to put an asterisk on this. So there's somebody out there, there's probably multiple out there that are like me back before I used an OSP or I've seen how an OSP works. And they're like, yeah, 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 crankbait's a crankbait. Like, I don't need to go spend that much money on a, you know, JDM crankbait when I can go throw this rock crawler and it'll work just fine. That was me. Went out fishing with Andy. Caught one, Andy caught one, then Andy caught 10 to my none, and then I finally put on one, and we just went back to back to back to back cast, put the rock collar back on, stopped catching them, said, screw this, going back to the OSP, so it actually works. Crankbait is not a crankbait. They're not all made equal, that is for sure. Those 10 hours of fishing we spent in two days, one night was like an hour and 10 minutes, and the next day was like a solid eight, nine hours was just absolutely insanity. Like, How many times did I get hung up and catch a bass with a crankbait? Like, oh, I was d- sitting there popping your off. Your A-rig, you got hung up with an A-rig and doubled. Like, snagged down <laughs> yeah. the bottom. And you're like, oh, I got one. And then you're like, oh, I got two. <laughs> I got to find that clip. We'll have to post it again. I'll make a yeah. really good TikTok or something like that. Yeah. But, like, yeah, literally, I got my A-rig stuck. 
and I'm sitting there with Andy. Like we're literally about to leave, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, hold on, I gotta go get this unhung. And I'm like, I'm doing the like the typical like, don't even care, just screw this. I'll break it off. I have to. And I pop it one time, and the the rod bends back the other way, and I'm like, oh god. <laughs> like I start reeling. I'm like, I got one. I got two. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb, dumb, dumb yeah. stuff but happens they, in the fall, and that that week is coming up really soon, and statistically like that week is always calm in november so i hope we can do that again at least one day it would be nice i hope i don't miss it when i'm in louisiana oh when do you go to louisiana i leave november 3rd come back the 14th oh yeah you're probably gonna miss it yeah it's like the 7th through like the 15th ish sometimes a little before sometimes a little after Lucky Sometimes me. a couple of years it's been the week of Thanksgiving. So hopefully it's that. That'd be fun to fish on Thanksgiving. Oh, fishing in cold, dirty water on a tidal fishery after a significant rain. Find current. Um, find current and pick up a blackened chartreuse, um, square bill, or oh, what's the name of a lure Jensen old school speed trap? Like that thing in cold water, you can crawl it, and that thing still wobbles. Incredible. If, you, yeah, if it's cold, pick up a like the biggest col- uh, uh, Colorado blade that you can find. Yeah, and just slowly thump that thing. But if you go back to Grand Lake, when Aaron Martins finished second or third, I think it was, he was fishing an old black and chartreuse lure Jensen speed trap. In the dirty water down by the dam, which was like the coldest water on Grand Lake. And he was catching them, I think, in like 38, 39 degree muddy water, which you shouldn't be able to catch a bass. And that is against all the books. So, yeah, it, it catches fish in really cold water. Yeah, that is obviously like the toughest conditions. So, like, don't expect you're going to go blast them, but be, be efficient with the areas you run find moving water. And then obviously like if it's, you know, cold, dirty, see if there, if it's possible, see if there's any tribs or any creeks that are flowing in that are pumping out cleaner water. Yeah. If you can find that and you might have to just pick up like a black and blue jig, you know, and find where that water's pumping into and just work that sucker as slow as you possibly can. Like count rocks crawl. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be fun, but you'll probably pick up a few fish. Jim Johnson says scents or powder or liquid. Is this a Taku question for the St. Lawrence Lake Ontario when he was like, I got to my white powder for smallmouths. <laughs> I I still have our, our buddy Andrew Hayes at Tackle Talk. I have his episode uh, queued up for Taku. I'm supposed to listen to it tomorrow. Uh, I don't know about the powder stuff. I, I will say the only thing that I believe in right now, because I've seen it work and it's coming from scientists, is water-based is like the only thing that actually like fish are capable of quote unquote smelling and absorbing. Cause like oil-based they can't. It's a it's a slick that'll just le- completely leave the bait. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's gonna I, I'm gonna have to go liquid, but I mean it, it's working for Taku, so I can't I can't knock that. Yeah, there's there's got to be some type of like oil or something that that powder creates when it hits water. That's the only thing I can think of. 
Very interesting. That needs to be a show, though. Sense. But here, here's David Jung, our, our buddy from English Channel, said, being northerners, we can't pick our weather this time of year. If you hit a lake during turnover, do you just pack it up and go home slash to a different lake? And Andy, this is almost like David knew that I had a really bad weekend for this exact reason. <laughs> yeah, Bailey packed it up and went home. No, the turnover is extremely, extremely tough to fish, as we all know. But if you can catch one during the tone, the turnover, a lot of times it clues you into what's going on. The biggest thing I found during a turnover is to get as humanly shallow as possible. If it's calm, if it's wavy, I know all you can really do if it's real windy is pick up a spinnerbait and just burn water and hope you can catch a couple. But um, it's get as shallow as possible and to really slow down and really pick stuff apart because those fish don't want to move. The lake is doing all kinds of funky things, but they have to eat. So as soon as you can get one bite or clue, it can usually turn you on to what you need to do. You just have to be really paying attention to the specifics of that bite. Yeah, that was kind of what I was hit with this past weekend. Went out with one of my buddies and I caught like like a maybe one pounder, if maybe legal keeper at all. Uh, like really fast. It was set up the way I thought it was going to be set up. And I was like, water temps are 53. I was like, Hey, this might be pretty good. We're not even to the good stuff yet. We get to the good stuff. It's completely deserted. We don't catch anything for three and a half hours. Uh, my buddy pulls out a mag draft, catches a five pounder, like on his third cast. Uh, we run that pattern for another hour. Nothing. Uh, we've stayed out deep, like, Real deep. I got the whole lake graph, so that's not like there's any spots that are going unhidden. Uh, went dirt shallow, as you mentioned, like literally on the bank, and uh, it was a layer of leaves everywhere with a turned into a 15, 20 mile an hour south wind. And this lake runs north to south, so there really wasn't a great place to, to get out of it to fish shallow. So uh, I uh, decided to just go experiment with my new motor on my kayak and said bye. <laughs> there's there's something i'm not a, i'm not a quitter like you know me mentally i can't yeah. i refuse to quit this is one of those times where i'm like yep screw this guy <laughs> yeah i mean and that's like but you could still there's always something to learn so if you look back you learned what not to do so you learned something yeah i honestly i mean looking back on it i don't know what i would do because all the grass is dying off tried flipping it a chatterbait over it fish deep my fish were not were not on my deep stuff was there like, a thermocline no interesting None. yeah it was very weird did you find bait fish anywhere there were a lot of bait fish there was schools of perch everywhere schools of alewives there were a couple of fish by them they'd follow your bait and then they they were gone like it's almost it's almost like they knew that forward facing was on them but like they left completely, not like they leave out of the cone. They leave completely. They're gone. Huh? And we come back to them and like start way off of them. And they just weren't there. It was, it was super weird. Yeah. They're just being wonky. It doesn't help that there was two tournaments the day before. Well, yeah, we talked to another guy that was at the ramp too. And he said he didn't catch anything. Yeah. And he's a dude that's pretty good around here. And if he struggled, I'm like, okay, I feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah, which means it's probably on fire right now with all these crazy fronts coming through. 
Yeah, now's the time I want to be out. That's for sure. Yeah, but still blowing 40 out of the south every day, and it was snowing this morning. Yeah. Well, to me, to answer this question, once you finally have that turnover, like, fall is here. Like, in terms of that fall bite, it'll be consistent, and then it's just going to get colder and colder. So every time you see a big drop in temperature and pressure, you better be on the freaking lake because they're going to smash them. Yeah. Until the water gets to about 45, then it gets really tough. Yeah. Let's see what else we got. Do you ever randomly cast anymore, or do you wait until you see fish on your sonar? I 100% randomly cast because those are the casts that you always catch one with dumb luck, and it's usually your biggest one. So, like, especially on Erie, I have so many waypoints on Lake Erie when I'm out fishing. I'll put myself in an area, and I'll be like, I know there's boulders, like, 150 feet that way there's a gravel patch 110 feet to my left but i'm looking right at a boulder with two fish but they won't eat sometimes before i pan over to them i will cast in that direction to see if i can give them the bite and then if they do bite then i don't care i'll use my forward facing to see how many more are there but if they don't bite i'll still pan over and be like oh they're not there and i'll just randomly cast the other way and then slowly pan to it so mm-hmm. like depends. Largemouth yeah, fishing, I, I'm always randomly casting because I haven't quite figured it out with largemouth yet. Yeah, I mean, I'll say when I'm going shallow, um, I mean, I might have it on in certain cases, uh, especially like if water's dirtier and I want to see like where the isolated grass clumps are. Uh, but I mean, for, like for the most part, when I'm shallow, I'm I'm trying to get away from it. But when I'm not deep, I'll be entirely honest. Uh, there's probably, I mean, there's a couple of different cases where like, if I'm working up to a spot that I'll try to make as long cast as I can to like get that before you start getting into that forward facing, like if the fish start getting in that cone. Uh, but beyond that, like I make one or two casts doing that. And then I'm not usually making a cast for like deep water, small mouth until I see him on forward facing. It's just an efficiency tool, like especially in a tournament. I mean, we're not at that stage yet where they're just magically rising off the bottom. Like when those temperatures get really cold, you'll start seeing that where you're going to, you can start looking at them on 2d or seeing them on side and then just kind of, you know, hovering a bait above them and watching them rise up magically off the bottom. But beyond that, I mean, <laughs> it's all efficiency right now. Just depend- shallow for sure. Shallow. I'm usually trying to put sonar away. Let's see. I agree. If you are catching fish on a certain color bait, when would you change color for a bigger bite? A lot of times I will change color after I burn the school to the ground to try and get a secondary bite going. And that's usually two things will happen. One, you'll catch a giant, which is a really big fish for that school that you're catching. Or you'll catch even smaller fish and get them refired up and then go back to the color you were using and they start eating it again. So, I mean, it's it, it all depends on the day and the fishery and what you're fishing for, honestly. Because a lot of times a bigger bite will come on the same color that you're using. It's just it's in a very slightly different area than where you're getting most of your bites. It's in the general vicinity, but it's on something slightly different. And I think we focus on color too much 
when it comes to getting bigger bites as opposed to figuring out where the bigger fish live. Because in my opinion, you only need three colors for soft plastics, black, black and blue and green pumpkin. So like a color isn't that much of a difference. The only time color really matters to me is a jerk bait, spinner bait, chatter bait, or a crank bait. Anything that's power fishing and moving. Because there's been days where you'll only catch small ones on green pumpkin, but as soon as you go to white on a chatter bait, you'll get giant bites or vice versa, or the same with the spinner bait. You might catch a lot of fish on a white one, but as soon as you go to a brown colored spinner bait, you catch big ones. So that's the only time it really matters is basing it off the forage base flipping it's mostly reactionary i don't think you're catching fish flipping a bait in more of a feeding response i think you're getting it near them and they're reacting to it and eating it in that moment of time as to where with like a moving bait a lot of times those fish are actively feeding unless it's a crankbait then they're bumping it sometimes you'll get them outside the face yeah i mean in terms of a bigger bite I guess this is a hard question because I don't. I don't really. Oops, what, sorry, what? that was me. I was trying to silence my watch and I hit the find my phone. <laughs> Everyone's so gonna be looking mic. at their phones now as they're driving, <laughs> listening to this. My bad. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I mean, I'm such. I'm like again, you just said I'm so simple when it comes to colors. Like, I have to keep it as very simple as I can. That even applies for crankbaits. Like, I have a two shad up. You're making me on. Sorry. Two shad patterns uh, and a gill pattern. And then I have like one dirty watercolor, like a, like a chartreuse that Andy's mentioned earlier in the show. So, like, I don't really change colors, especially. I, I don't know. I mean, it's for me, it is all it is all placement, area, what piece of you know, cover you're fishing. Uh, and then, biggest thing I choose for color is forage and contrast of the water. And that's the only two factors that I apply. I just try to keep it as simple as, as you can because typically if you find fish, you figure out a way to make it eat a black and blue or a green pumpkin or a white. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of crazy. Like a lot of people shy away from black and blue and clear water. Sometimes I will only throw black and blue when the water is gin clear. Because yeah, they will eat the fire out of black and blue. Like mm-hmm. if I can find them, my favorite color chatterbait is black with a green pumpkin trailer and I dye the tail chartreuse. Like, there's some juice for everyone. If you can find black chatterbaits, get a green pumpkin zacco or some type of swim bait and, t- and dive the tail chartreuse. If you're in a grass fishery that's ultra clear, a lot of times on bluegill will be black with a faint tail of chartreuse on them. And my gosh, you will get giant bites on that. And that's for people listening to this. I don't like to talk about that much, but I figured since we're talking about how to catch bigger bass, that is one way to do it right there. Yeah. Here's a good question. So Levi, we haven't asked this, but I think I have a better answer to this question. Um, being someone that loves to find and target structure with a sonar in the Ozarks, would Mega 360 or Live Scope be more effective? And he had a follow up comment that says, because our lakes are very deep, so that's why I lean more towards Live Scope than Mega 360. I will say, to someone that likes to specifically fish to like and target like pieces of cover, if you are brand new to that body of water, I'm going to go 360 because I don't know what's there yet. If I have time to graph and check places out with my side imaging and, and down imaging, 
and I go back to go fish that, I'm going live scope, if that makes sense. Whereas yeah. if I'm going and I'm fishing a brand new area and I'm not just going and graphing it, 360 is going to tell me much more than if I'm going in there fresh with and trying to fish with live scope. Because live scope, you're obviously automatically panning, but 360 is going to give you a better lay of the land of what exactly you're fishing, if that makes sense. Hopefully that answers that question. And 360, you can you can fish really deep stuff and still use 360. So, Andy, what do you think? I agree. I mean, I'm not an avid user of 360, but personally, if I was just starting out fishing on Lake Erie and I graphed an area, but I didn't know exactly how it's set up because I'm out there all the time, I would personally choose 360 over LiveScope. LiveScope, to me, is more of a tool to figure out how to get the fish to react and get them to bite. 360 is going to help you find and locate structure when you're spot-locked or sitting in an area. As to where LiveScope will tell you the immediate reaction and mood of the fish. And then you can base your technique and presentation off of that. It, it's much easier to find structure and cover water with 360 than live scope personally, because you're constantly panning back and forth. And a lot of times it doesn't read fast enough to, and if you pan too quick, you'll just miss everything. So especially if you're looking for like real skinny, like Lake Hartwell in our last episode with Bryant, right? We were talking about cane poles. If you scan that with live scope and you pan too fast, you will never see it. But if you know what you're looking for on down imaging and side imaging as you drive by it, you know how to market and fish it then. So it's um, they're all tools and you just have to figure out which one's best for you and your situation. But at the beginning of the day, if I was starting out, I would have 360 for fishing deep, specifically looking to target structure with sonar. Hmm. So we have a comment here from Born to Fish. I don't know if this is off topic, but when using 360, do you subtract depth of water for target distance? That'd be a Bailey question. I've never even heard of that, to be honest. He said, example, 20 foot of water, stump at 60. Is it 40 feet out or still 60? Okay, so if you're sitting still and you see a stump at 60, it's at 60. I've never heard that it's 40 feet out if it's 60. If it's telling you 60, typically your graphs are correct. If that makes sense. I don't think that you subtract versus depth of water. I know. I think Brandon Polinick posted a video on this. And I think it's based on range or some certain setting that it has. But I think automatic setting, I would assume it'd be at 60. Yeah. You should be able to trust your graphs. Like It's like the same thing with side imaging. If you or graph along, you see something at 60, it's going to be at 60. Yeah. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, dude, I was just trusting your, your graphs. Uh, I mean, for me, like when I see something at 40, I'm trying to cast 50, 60 past, like at 50, 60. So it's casting past it and bringing along to it because typically, and I, I've learned this with forward facing is that most cases when you cast and you go right on top of a fish, you're not going to catch them versus if you cast 10, or 20 past them and bring it by them. It's more natural. They're kind of getting skeptical when something's just dropping right on their head. Now, small mouth, 
uh, and Great Lakes typically doesn't matter. <laughs> you can drop something around their head and they'll be fine. But in other cases, it's better just to cast past it. So, but yeah, I would just trust your 360. It's going to tell you exactly how far it is, how it is. We got Donald back from Scotland. He's back on another show and he's got a, look at that dang, was a Harley? Sweet chopper. Got a Harley in his spot. Yeah. Sweet chopper in the bio photo. Oh, that's pretty good. All right, so dude, it is. It's almost fifty minutes into this. And we still haven't talked about our topic. For oh, yeah. just real fast with Levi Schneider. Perspective mode I found is only really good in like twenty foot or less, maybe even fifteen. Um, I tried it for a minute and I went back to the normal mode because I was like, I gotta really fine tune this and figure it out. It was great in like eight to ten foot. Anything past that, image got all distorted for me, and I didn't like it past there perspective mode you can't see your bait either in perspective mode um yeah i don't think throwing a jerk bait on perspective mode is good unless you're looking for target but you can't even really see the fish half the time it's just structure based in my opinion unless they're really big oh in terms of perspective mode if yeah. you see fish you can see them but you have to really get it dialed like really get it dialed. I'd say when it's dialed, perspective mode. Well, so for folks listening, like I use Mega Live, it's landscape. Perspective mode Sorry. on Garmin is no, you're good. Uh, perspective mode on Garmin is like your quote unquote was 120 degrees of basically like a live 360 of it. Yeah. Uh, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, if you get that thing down, I mean, obviously, super deep water, you know, past 15 becomes a little bit more challenging, especially to You'll be able to see structure if you want to have like more, a little bit more pinpoint casts on stuff. Uh, but I mean, when you get that deep, using forward uh, is that forward mode is is the way to go. But there are times where like if I'm fishing uh, fishing a very specific piece of cover, shallow, like less than 15 foot of water, I put that thing on landscape for Mega Live, and I can see those fish swimming around that piece of structure, and it becomes. It's, it's kind of interesting because you're there's times where on forward you're looking at a piece of cover and it's hard, those fish will hold so tight that you can't see them. But on that landscape slash perspective mode, you can actually see them on it. You can see them swimming through it, whereas you might be blocked by that, uh, that mm. forward mode. It can Makes help sense. you make specific pitches to these fish. I've done it. I got some video of it and I got it coming up on a, on a future video on Be the Fish, but that... Uh, that mode it ha- it definitely has its place, especially I think if you like to, if you're fishing grass, I'll say that if you want to make sure you're covering as much mo- water as you can, then that's why you're seeing guys running two forward facing sonar uh, transducers now. So they can run that perspective and that forward, if that makes sense, but definitely worth, I mean, dude, uh, if you're rethinking it, I mean, I think universally it's such a hard question, but I mean, 360, you can see fish on that as well. Just really, it just yeah. boils down to how you fish. Like if you're a guy that likes to, to run and gun, um, I'd honestly, I'd probably lean more with forward facing because you can get that perspective mode. Um, especially if you're a jerk bait guy, like you fit, you fish up in the column. I feel like that's forwards going to be the way to go, but all right, Andy. So we, we wanted to talk, we guess we don't have to talk about it for too long, but like, we wanted to talk about when fishing gets tough in terms of one conditions, you know, how to refine fish, but then two, like when fishing is tough in terms of you're in a rut, like you're mentally not firing on all cylinders. 
how do you get back on track? And I think it'd be good to just kind of focus on the mental one for today's show of like, dude, I'm in a slump. I can't, I'm not fishing the way I want to uh, and how to get back on track. And to lead this conversation off, I think a lot of people that find themselves in this slump are trying to force something. They're forcing a variable too hard. Like they're trying to fish a certain way when conditions might be telling them the opposite. If that makes sense. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And a lot of times too, like when you get into a slump, you're outside of your comfort or your confidence zone. So like your confidence might be flipping grass, but you find yourself like burning through it with a chatterbait, even though you're a terrible chatterbait or a spinnerbait fisherman. Like the first thing I would do is sit down, grab a sandwich, go to your graph, Figure out where on your graph, if like, let's hypothetically speaking, let's say it's gassing like 40 miles an hour onto an area that you found those fish in practice or in the morning of the tournament and they stop biting, like sit down, grab your sandwich, look at your graph and go find that next place that looks very similar on the contour lines. And maybe it's out of the wind so you can get back to your confidence and just go fish. Like, slow down and go catch one. And as cliche and simple as it sounds, it literally works. Even if it's a 10-incher, that can help clue you in into like, okay, I know there's fish in the area. Maybe it's a bait change. Like, I'm flipping this double-wide 5-inch beaver. Maybe I need to go down to 3 and 3 quarter and a quarter ounce weight. There could be a slight variable off that you're missing, but keep it in that relative zone of your confidence. If you love flipping grass, just start messing around with baits that you can flip grass with until you can figure out how to get them to bite. Because there's always a grass bite. It's just so so much of it is timing and having the perfect conditions for it to happen. Yeah, just going back to basics. Like... You, there's there's a bunch of guys I feel like that definitely get caught up looking at electronics or trying to force one thing or the other when, I mean, obviously this is regionally and lake dependent, but just picking up a stick bait or a top water or a frog or a jig, something really simple yeah. and just go fish shallow, go fish something that makes sense. Go find docks, you know, let, you know, go fresh the mind, click reset. Uh, whereas, you, you know, getting offshore can be a little bit draining because you might start cycling through baits. You might start seeing fish. If you're not up to speed on or have enough time in with electronics, you might be thinking, you know, carp and walleye are, are bass and you start chasing ghosts, which they literally are ghosts because, you know, there's chasing ghosts where it's just like you're chasing the one giant, but then there's chasing ghosts of like you're just straight up lost that's the time where I think you need to pack up everything, put the electronics away and just go start bank beating because that's re- probably where most people's roots stem from. And that will help you kind of get back on track of where to find them. And if you're not catching them, I mean, the great place to start is the bank because they got nowhere to go. If you're fishing the bank besides deeper. So you can start reset that process of trying to back, go back and find them again. But I totally agree with Andy. It's like, <laughs> Go sit down for a little bit. Like you might be, you might be spinning the wheels too much in terms of trying to forcefully, forcefully think about what they might be doing and making it too complicated on yourself. 
Whereas when you sit down and you do whichever, it'll kind of give you a reminder of one, look up right now. Don't look down at your electronics. Look up like, hey, is the sun out? What is the wind speed? Where's the wind coming from? What are my water temperatures? What time of year is it? Like, I feel like it's good to, uh, one thing I've, I actually have it in my phone that when I start spinning, I pull it out, um, is I have a, a checklist. It, it's kind of like a, like in terms of like, you know, when pilots get on a plane, they have a checklist they have to go through. I have like my condition checklist that literally just has, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that, giving me reminders. And I start looking around and kind of can help me somewhat get back on track and get, you know, my coordinates of what the heck I need to be doing. Uh, but that might be, I don't know, something where it's like you start spinning, pull out the notebook or something and look at that and be like, okay, I'm going to at least go back and just restart. What sh- what are the conditions telling me? And that might help you lead into what the fish are doing. And then they can give you clues and you can go from there. Yeah. And those are great points. And like, I can go one step further. Like if you're fishing shallow and you're struggling, run as many main lake point docks as you can. Like there's four or five of them. One of them is probably going to have a fish on it every time you pull up into one and then pay attention to what dock it is, what type of dock it is, what kind of grass is around it. And then you can run that pattern every time you run onto a point. Is it on the wind side? Is it on the windward side? Is it getting blasted? Is it gravel? Is it rock? Is it grass? Is it mud? Like, and just really pay attention to the minute details and then you can run it the rest of the lake. Um, and that's, that's one of the biggest things is really paying attention. Another thing like mentally, like one thing that I, I think I do really well at is like, if I'm fishing a moving bait, like a chatter bait and I'm getting bit, but they're not getting it. Like that's cluing me in that I have to slow down. Right. So I'm like, okay, I really need to flip this grass. I got to figure out what they're going to do. So I'll start rotating, flipping grass in different baits in an area, but it's also vice versa. If I, if I'm flipping grass and I'm not getting bit and all of a sudden I burn it out to the boat and one comes up and smokes it right next to the boat as I'm burning it out. Now my light bulb goes off like, okay, they're chasing. I need to pick up something that is moving and go on that term. So it's really paying attention to what the fish are telling you. They're always telling you what's going on just a lot of times. And I'm, I'm very bad at this too, is being too stubborn and trying to force something until it's too late because we have this mindset of fishing our confidence, which we're like, we're going to catch them doing this because that's how I like to catch them. But a lot of times we have confidence in other things. We're just afraid to move to it because we have this preconceived notion that we want to catch them this way. And 99% of the time we don't catch them the way we want to. Just honestly, unless it's the fall or spring, then you can catch them however the heck you want. Yeah. <laughs> if agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. And excuse me. Knock oh, it gosh. off. I know. We're about to sign off right here. So it's good because I'm about to pass out. But uh, I feel like it, the that's easier said than done, especially on specific lakes. Like you look at like Lake Erie. I mean, you need electronics for Lake Erie if you're going to be efficient. I mean, you go catch, you can catch fish, but like, I mean, just the idea of trying to blind cast on Lake Erie, um, Lake Erie without any sort of topographical map just makes me want to 
barf. Yeah. I mean, you could run shallow, but like pending the time of year, I mean, you're just, you're going to be, you might catch a lake trout or something, but that's about it. Yeah. I actually had this like conversation with somebody, I think like four or five years ago, how they used to do it back in the day before we had like topographic and contour mapping of lake bottoms. Basically what he told me was it would take their black and white X96 Lawrence graphs and drive around. And whenever they saw a change in the bottom composition, so if like they saw a little hump on a slick calm day, they would just sit there and figure out how to line it up by looking at the shoreline and just drift over it and drift over it until they caught fish. Now, like, how did you line up? They're like, well, on these Lorances, you could hit a waypoint on it, but there'd be no mapping, so you could still drift and line up with the spot but you wouldn't know why it was there. You just knew how deep it was and what the bottom looked like based on your black and white graph. And I'm like, I could never fish that way based on the way I know how to fish now. Like that would be so rudimentary to me. I would lose my mind. Like, yeah, we are definitely spoiled. That is for dang sure. Yeah. Andy, anything else before we uh, sign off here tonight? Oh yeah. Just podcast. Oh, I agree. One thing I will say is next year, 2023 spring, I've already started to book days. I have, I think, nine days left in June that I can fill. May is wide open. So if you want to get on one of the best smallmouth fisheries in the nation, number eight out of the top 100, um, reach out to me. We'll get out on the water for a couple of days. I also do a lot of Finger Lake stuff and inland largemouth fishing and smallmouth earlier on in the season. So let's get your uh, trip booked here coming up sooner than later because I have a feeling my spring is going to be relatively busy. Heck yeah. All of uh, Andy's you know, contact info and everything, social media, email is down below in the description. I definitely highly encourage you to do that. And then uh, I'll take you out for beer and wings after. Hey, that sounds like fun. Can I, as long as I can join. I mean, obviously someone's got to drive them. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) I see what you did there. Well, coming up, I got a video coming out for be the fish tomorrow with Greg Blanchard. Uh, if you guys are in the kayak space, you guys know who Greg Blanchard is. It was fun to get out with him, caught a freaking giant with him. Uh, but it was a tough day of fishing, but that'll be a new video on be the fish tomorrow. Uh, if you guys haven't checked that out, please do check out Andy's YouTube channel. And as always, please leave us a rating in review helps us big time here at serious angler, especially if you guys are listening on MP3, uh, means the world. If you're on YouTube, please like, and subscribe, share this channel with your friends. If you're on Facebook, please share this. We're going to try to, we're really trying to grow Serious Angler. And again, if you guys are trying to uh, get some apparel, you know, let us know if that's something you'd be interested in, whether hat, hoodie, whichever we're trying to. Uh, we got some really fun stuff. We just want to make sure we're doing it right. So you guys will be the first to know once that's official. But as always, Andy, you got anything else? For now, we will see everyone Thursday and be on the lookout for the, <laughs> yeah, Friday. Sorry. Be on the lookout for the next episode of the Lure Lab. Coming up on Saturday. Saturday. Yes. All right, folks. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Friday.
Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.